Okay, hello everybody. Good to be with you. Hopefully this is coming across clearly. It's been a while since I've done one of these live streams and I'm glad to have the chance to talk to you about something um, again. So I've been reading and teaching Being in Time and Contributions to Philosophy of the Event recently. And I thought that it would be nice to share some of what, um, what I've learned about how to think about Dasein in a way that could be useful to you in that, um, in that time. So the first thing I want to say is why, why it matters, why it's important, why we should care at all. So you might have a philosophical interest in understanding Heidegger just because you know he's an important thinker, people talk about him, and it seems like he's worth knowing, like Kant, Hegel, Plato, Aristotle, and any other philosopher um, that we know deserves the title in the first place and stands in great tradition of philosophy. But even more specifically than that, I think we can say there are at least three good reasons why we should want to know what Heidegger means by Dasein. So the first is that he's had a tremendous influence on so many other thinkers in political philosophy and political theory, my discipline, and in many other disciplines as well. And it's impossible to know what they are talking about, sometimes at the most fundamental levels, unless you understand them in light of their confrontation with Heidegger's thought. So I'll just give you a few brief examples. Leo Strauss, whose great book, Natural Right and History, somehow is a subtle dialogue with Heidegger, whom Strauss calls the radical core of historicism, the most serious alternative to Strauss's own project of the recovery of classical natural right and classical political philosophy. So there's no understanding Leo Strauss fully and adequately without seeing him in terms of his relationship to Heidegger in the chat. Thanks. Nice to be back. Um, another, another school of thought we don't understand without Heidegger is the French Heideggerians, who so many of whom were influenced by aspects of his thought, by his terminology, and by certain specific um, ideas he introduced. For I'll give you a simple example even before we jump into anything else. Heidegger has a distinction in being in time and elsewhere between beings, that's the ontic level, and being, that's the ontological level. That ontological difference is not his last word, but it's still a useful distinction between beings and being. And some French political theorists and political philosophers have thought that it would be useful to map that distinction onto the political dimension so that you have politics and the political. And they use what Heidegger taught us about understanding the relationship between beings and being in order to think about politics and the political, thereby combining Carl Schmitt with his concept of the political and Heidegger with his fundamental ontological, phenomenological methodology. So all of those thinkers would be just completely opaque to us if we didn't make an effort to understand Heidegger, their source for the ontological difference and for so much more. In addition, you have American pragmatists like Richard Rorty, one of the people I wrote about in my study beginning with Heidegger, 
Rorty absolutely cannot be understood fully without understanding his relationship to Heidegger and his use of certain ideas there. So we should care about what Heidegger means by Dasein and what he's thinking about in order to help us understand the huge impact he's had on these other fields. Also, and I think equally, if not more importantly, we should want to understand Heidegger because he gives us a deeper perspective on our own existence, on what it means to be human being, on what it means to be the being that you are. So we don't just read him out of an academic interest in understanding the various schools of political theory. We read him in order to access the truth about our own lives, about ourselves, about who we are. The question, who are we, is for Heidegger uh, very much a decisive and fundamental question. Thanks. Hello in the chat there. Nice to, uh, nice to be with you all again. Absolutely crucial and distinct from the question of his reception by other schools of thought. And another reason we want to understand Heidegger, his thought about Dasein, about all of that, which we'll get into in a minute, is that, um, is that Heidegger has an account of the history of Western philosophy. And his account of the history of Western philosophy helps us to understand where we've been, where we are, and where we might be going. It helps us to understand the deepest dimension of the secret history of the West, if he's right. That's his claim. His claim is that his teaching about the history of being, which I'll talk about in a little bit and try to give you a little introduction to, is the key to understanding the future that may await us, depending on whether we decide for another beginning of philosophy or whether we continue in the never-ending uh, long night of metaphysics. I will explain this, but I'm telling you. His impact on schools of political theory and political philosophy, his teaching us what it means to be human beings, the beings that we are, and his disclosure of the destiny of the West in its historical dimension, those are three good reasons why we should make an effort to understand Heidegger. Now, I also want to say, I am really going to be drawing on two books today, Being in Time and Contributions to Philosophy of the Event, together probably around a thousand pages. And as you can imagine, it's not going to be possible to cover that comprehensively with you now. So I just want to give you some helpful indications and some initial hints and uh, ideas that may spur you on in your study of Heidegger and in your application of your understanding of Heidegger to the other things that matter for you. And at some point, I'll probably do a detailed reading group or seminar on each of these texts, which I've been teaching privately uh, in my tutoring. So in Being in Time, Heidegger says that we ourselves are Dasein, each of us. Those are his words. We ourselves are it, Dasein. Dasein is a name for the being that we are. I'm going to give you many approaches to this. So don't jump on anything I say yet that it's not accurate. Bear with me. Dasein is the being that we ourselves are. Dasein is another name for you, who you are. It names and expresses your particular way of being. We don't know what that means yet, but that's what he says in Being in Time. In Contributions to Philosophy of the Event, just to tell you that there's a little bit of a subtlety, he says that Dasein is 
an invitation for something that we can become, that we must have an essential transformation of the human being into Dasein. So on one hand, it's what we always already are. And on the other hand, it's that towards which we aspire in a certain way. And as you'll see, he says, only the few and the rare, only the isolated and somehow uniquely destined thinkers can truly be at the forefront of transforming the human being into Dasein. And yet, initially, in being in time, it's what we ourselves always are. So I want to say a little bit about that. But a few preliminary words before I do. He writes in contributions that the word Dasein, in the particular sense that he gives it in contributions to philosophy of the event and first in being in time, cannot be translated. This is what he writes in contributions to philosophy of the event. It resists the viewpoints of the previous ways of thinking and speaking in Western history. It resists the traditional notions expressed in German by the word Dasein, which basically had come to mean an existent being, a being that exists, the existence of beings. But his thinking takes us out of that meaning of Dasein and transposes us into a different realm of understanding and a different realm of possibility. So he says it can't be translated and it can't even be fully and properly understood in the terms of the tradition of Western history, Western philosophical history. Everything said in regard of Dasein, he continues in Contributions to Philosophy of the Event, is vulnerable and liable to be misinterpreted. This is an important point. If it does not enjoy the favor of those who participate in the questioning, who carry it out to some essential extent. In other words, Dasein is not just a concept that you are trying to understand. You as a pre-existing, pre-understood, self-reflective, self-consciousness coming into contact with Martin Heidegger's philosophy of Dasein, and you're going to understand it as a concept. In his own understanding, that is not adequate and it's not the goal. The goal is to expose yourself to the possibility of an essential transformation. You are transforming the essence of what it means to be a human being. You're undergoing an initiation into Dasein. We're talking about something approaching a conversion experience, a dislodging and displacing of the human being from his self-interpretation that belongs to metaphysics and the first history of philosophy and that which Heidegger is trying to overcome, displacing our understanding of the human being from there into something completely different, something, uh, something else. So just to the chat for a minute, uh, that's not a custom shop. That's a MJT body um, parts caster. It's a nice guitar. I like it very much. What can I tell you? Uh, and it's Taos blue, not Lake Placid blue. Good eye though, and good guess. Um, the goal is not to seize thought, but to be seized by thought. Somebody writes in the chat. Yeah, that's approximate, but we got to get more precise. So first, I want to take a few steps back, back to the beginning of being in time. So being in time begins with a reference to Plato's sophist. And the context of the discussion in the sophist is that those philosophers who have an answer or a position or a thought about what the principles of the cosmos are, 
So for example, fire and water or the one and the many, they have some explanation of the whole in terms of principles. And the discussants in the sophist say, well, wait a minute. When we ask them, look, you say that the two principles of explanation are fire and water, for example. Okay, yes. Well, are they both? Do they both exist? Yes. Okay, well, what is that their being? What is their existing? What does that mean when we say that they are? Is that a third thing alongside them? Or what exactly is that? This is the conversation in the sophist. And the point is to show, like the character in the sophist says, when I was younger, I used to think that being was clear and non-being was opaque and perplexing. But now I have come to understand that being itself is as perplexing as non-being. What we mean when we say that something is, is unclear. That's in the sophist, and that's what Heidegger begins being in time with, a reference to that very discussion. Um, For manifestly, you have long been aware of what you mean when you use the expression being. We, however, who used to think we understood it, have now become perplexed. And then he raises the following question. Do we in our time have an answer to the question of what we really mean by the word being? Not at all. We also don't know what we mean by being. But even more so, even worse to a certain extent, and equally telling, and Heidegger makes a lot of this later, are we nowadays even perplexed at our inability to understand the expression being? So we don't understand it, but are we perplexed by the fact that we don't understand it? Not at all, he says. And this fact that we don't understand being and are not troubled by our lack of understanding of being is the beginning of this book, The Contributions to Philosophy of the Event. Once we recognize the plight, as it is here, of the lack of a sense of plight, the the, uh, astonishing fact that we're not troubled by our non-understanding of being is the genesis, the initial impulse behind this magisterial, wonderful, beautiful text that I'll be referring to from time to time, Contributions to Philosophy of the Event. Heidegger's basic thought there is that the long history of philosophy from its first beginning to its end in Nietzsche has been a gradual abandonment by being of the human being and a forgetting of being by the human being. So why are we no longer perplexed? That the fact that we don't even recognize how we've been uprooted from being is absolutely fundamental for um, for Heidegger. And reflection on that fact sets off a, a chain of thinking and a way of inquiring that opens the door to the possibility of another beginning of philosophy, another disclosure of being to Dasein and the possibility of an inauguration of a new future of the West. It's, we'll get there, hopefully, and it will make some sense. So let's take a step back. We don't understand what we mean by being. That's page, not even page one of being in time, just the epigraph, okay? We, the sophists, Plato's sophists, they were perplexed by being and we are too. So we now need to raise the question, what is the meaning of being? What does what is to be mean? What is 
being. Therefore, Heidegger turns immediately to the exposition of the question of the meaning of being. And here you say, we want to know what we mean when we talk about being. We need proper methodological access. How are we going to answer that question? How do we access the question of the meaning of being? Well, according to Heidegger, like, let me give you this example. If I was solving a mathematical equation, I wouldn't necessarily turn to my microscope as the proper tool for me to do that because it's a, the wrong tool for the subject matter. It's the wrong tool for the job. It's not going to give me access to the domain that interests me. So how do we get access to the domain of being in order to examine this question of the meaning of being? Here, Heidegger says in brief that we have to turn to the being that raises that question in the first place, the being that cares at all enough to ask, the being that is somehow exposed to being in a way that it's problematic or questionable in the first place. And here he says that being is we ourselves. And the name he uses, as I said, to which he gives a novel uh, spin and interpretation and dimension is Dasein. So initially, Dasein is you in your, is you. Dasein is the being that you are, that we are, before we have overlaid it with interpretations of consciousness, race, group, I, subject, rational animal, somehow Dasein is prior to all of that. And the basis on which those interpretations of the human being are possible. Okay, this is preliminary, preliminary. So Dasein preliminarily is the being that raises the question of being in the first place. That's what he says. And this being has among it the possibilities of formulating the question of the meaning of being. Now, what Heidegger says, okay, what Heidegger says, just looking at the chat here, um, yeah. Now you look and say, what is Dasein? Look around you and you'll see things around you. In my case, you saw the guitars behind me, the microphone in front of me, cups of coffee, plants, and the rest of it. And you look around you, you'll see things around you. Heidegger says, you can ask about the being of those beings. We interpret them, let's say, as things or as objects. And he says, what we are is fundamentally distinct from what they are. Not just distinct in the sense that they're objects over and against us who are subjects, but they're even more fundamentally distinct than that because he sees the human being or Dasein not as a something. So you, the human being, Dasein, are not a something. You are, a, you have a different way of being, a different mode of being. And all of that for him is absolutely going to shift upside down your self-understanding and give us access to the question of the meaning of being. So how that works is he says, look, we need to examine how we um, experience the world without over-interpreting it, we need to try to show the structures of our experience for what they are. He calls that phenomenology, and he explains the meaning of the term phenomenology in being in time and elsewhere as a bringing to light, bringing being to light 
through a certain speaking that lets it show itself for what it is. And he says, when you phenomenologically do an, uh, you turn phenomenology on Dasein, on our experience, so to speak, or on our specific way of being, what you see is that we're not a thing in the world in the same way that your computer is a thing in the world. Like something that is inside of something else in the way that water is in a cup or in the way that your hand is in a glove. Because he says that you are always and always have been and always will be, as Dasein, a co-equiprimordial composite called in him being in the world. So being in the world is not a concept. Being in the world is, according to Heidegger, what you always already are and have been and will be. That is what it is to be Dasein, preliminarily. Being in the world as a composite structure. Now, what does that mean? It means that we are always already together with world, not as something separate from us that we must enter into. Like I said, pouring water in a cup. That's not the way we're in the world. We never have to build a bridge between the subject over here and the object over here and our epistemological problem of how we bridge the gap or how we can have an adequate representation of the world out there. He says, no, this view of the human being as a subject that stands opposite and against an objective world and that must somehow build a bridge between them is a derivative and already distorted, a secondary uh, consequence of a more fundamental underlying unified phenomenological structure, namely the structure of being in the world, which is what you are, according to Heidegger. Only because we are always already this existential fundamental ontological structure called being in the world, is it possible for us to later in, so to speak, collapse this unity into uh, either subjectivity or objectivity, or a point that motivates much of the first half of being in the world, uh, sorry, of uh, being in time, interpreting our, our self in terms of the world. So collapsing the distinction between collapsing the unified, the co-equipomordial unity of being in the world into an interpretation of ourselves in terms of the world without seeing this whole structure, which is what we really are. So in being in time, the beginning, really first half of being in time says, let's analyze the structures, the existential structures, that means the structures that belong to the particular being that we are, as opposed to the kinds of beings of things in the world, like a cup of coffee or a tree, which need to be characterized differently. Let's examine our structures, which he calls existentials, in the way that we are always and for the most part in our everydayness. And he says that in our everydayness, we are precisely interpreting ourselves out of our being collapsed into the world that we're involved with and take care of. So that means that the human being, more often than not, always and for the most part, as a rule, derives his self-interpretation, not from a clear understanding and insight, so to speak, into his genuine structure, that clear insight into our genuine structure and living on the basis of that, he calls here authenticity, 
and he calls it somewhat differently elsewhere. That would be authentic, living on the basis of a transparent insight into our fundamental ontological existential constitution as being in the world. But we don't do that. We interpret ourselves out of being collapsed in the world. And that has a few different dimensions that I want to explain to you briefly. So one of them is that we are, um, <clears throat> when it comes to being with, okay, one of the things he says characterizes Dasein is our discourse. In our discourse, which is speaking, listening, and even being silent, we learn something about beings. So in speaking about things, our speech has the function of disclosing beings or disclosing being. However, it can also cover up, conceal, distort, confuse, muddy the waters, and do all of those things. And Heidegger says that because always and for the most part, we don't see ourselves as being in the world, but rather we're collapsed into world and interpreting ourselves in terms of world, something happens to our speech, which is quite interesting. He says that we are always speaking about things without understanding them in their deeper dimension. And their deeper dimension means here specifically their relationship to Dasein as itself exposed to um, the ground of being, so to speak. So we are this constitution being in the world and at our basis, as it were, using this sort of spatial thinking, if we're being in the world at our basis, there's this ontological, fundamental ontological dimension. And genuine understanding is when we are disclosing beings, that means events, occurrences, people, things, ourselves, modes and ways of being, history, time, tradition, philosophy, thoughts, art, music, all of that. When we're understanding it, that is disclosing it and relating it, to the fundamental ontological ground, which is its genuine like resting place, so to speak, or its genuine uh, source and origin where it derives its meaning from. We don't do that for the most part, according to Heidegger. Instead, we treat things in an uprooted fashion. We treat things like just beings without seeing their deep relationship to Dasein and to being as such. And in doing so, we speak about things without genuinely understanding them. He calls that idle talk. Idle talk means you talk about something without genuinely understanding it. And he thinks that characterizes Dasein always and for the most part as a mode, as a necessary mode of our existence, as a necessary mode of our existence. Moreover, he says, because we're uprooted from our genuine foundations, and I see the questions in the chat, I'll get to them in a minute about other people and I'm just covering some brief things here to give you a couple of indications, like I said. Um, because we don't have a deep understanding of that links beings to their deeper foundation as appearing for the specific type of being that we are, since we don't do that, we're like, don't usually think that way or think about that, have access to that dimension. Heidegger says our speech is characterized by a distracted curiosity. We don't have the right means and wherewithal to make fundamental distinctions about what's genuinely important, what's genuinely trivial, what's genuinely question worthy and what's not. And he says that when we combine these two things, we speak about things without truly understanding them. And we speak about pretty much everything. Like just imagine scrolling through your timeline or browsing the internet. 
at one moment you're watching like something about a war at the next moment you might just see some celebrity video at the next moment you might see something else heidegger says this is not accidental this characterizes the fact that we are uprooted from the genuine understanding of not only of beings but of the being that we are dasein and of our exposure like i said to that deeper dimension that fundamental ontological dimension of what he later calls the truth of being or the or the yeah the truth of being we're we're uprooted from that dimension therefore we just talk about things without understanding them and the result is what he calls ambiguity you don't know just think in your recent uh in your recent past when you take any public issue and you ask yourself and by the way publicness is a function for heidegger of all of this the domain of the public is where people are talking without understanding about everything that's going on without the proper distinctions and understanding their importance and being absolutely ambiguous as a result about what is the case and what isn't the case what's accurate what's inaccurate for him that is the domain of what he calls the they of publicness of entanglement in the world and all of this is a function of the fact that we are uprooted from and are away from and alienated from a genuine understanding of ourselves as not fallen into the world but as being in the world in with that rootedness in the truth of being as the fundamental underlying dimension so that's one type of analysis you get in being in time the basic idea i'm going to go into it in another way heidegger says look you are again not a thing in the world like here's a bunch of stuff and here's you and you're walking around obviously you you are bodily but for him the bodily dimension is not the dimension that is commanding our attention and demanding our attention when we're inquiring into the meaning of being which is as i said the driving question right from the epigraph of this book with reference to the sophist what does it mean to be so in understanding ourselves in terms of the question of the meaning of being we don't treat ourselves as psychological or biological or physiological because all of those are self-interpretations derived from the domain of beings of things that are whether of psychological realities or biological ones or um or otherwise so he says we have to understand ourselves not in terms of beings if we want to understand the meaning of being but in terms of being how do we do that we can't do biology we can't do anthropology we can't do physiology or neurology we need to do what he calls phenomenology the as a, examination of our relatedness to being through speech that is disclosing the being that we are to our understanding so i have to say a few words about that to help make it comprehensible imagine the following very simple sentence i'm going to say it and you're going to know what it means and it's even trivial that we would be doing this but not so much as you'll see in a second i say the door is open okay did anybody did any of you fall out of your chairs because you're so shocked by your inability to understand what i just said is anybody looking these words up in the dictionary the door is open i don't think so i will go tell my 5 year old son the door is open and you know by implication maybe he'll close it or he'll look at me and, so what's your point so heidegger says look the door do you understand the door 
That's clear enough, right? The door. Do you understand open? Pretty much open, closed. That is not, that is, uh, let's call it trivial. What about this is? You didn't stop and say, what, Mr. Millerman, Michael, do you mean, or Heidegger, could you possibly mean by that little word is? Well, Heidegger says, that observation, that when I say to you, the door is open, and you understand it, if you dwell on that observation, Heidegger says, you will disclose for yourself an absolute world of um, splendor and majesty and mystery and destiny, and you will become truly human only if you linger on this phenomenon that somehow the meaning of being, when I say the door is open, is preliminarily understood by you and by me, right? We know, always know or understand roughly, without needing an explanation, what we mean when we say being. Now, this to Heidegger is of earth-shattering importance. This is non-trivial to the highest extent. Heidegger derives from this observation the fact that the human being is always exposed to and stands in, in like under the claim of, to a certain extent, being itself. We are always understanding being. Somehow this is a hint and a clue for accessing the meaning of being. Now, we don't usually make it our top priority to look into our understanding of the meaning of being, our preliminary and rough preconceptual and unapprehended grasp of the meaning of being. But Heidegger says, if you do that, it's a portal and a window into uh, initiation and conversion into Dasein. And in terms of being in time, gives us access to the question of the meaning of being. So what's the issue here? Okay, you have a rough understanding of being. Heidegger says, this is important. Let's stay there for a minute. This means your own being as being in the world also is somehow roughly pre-understood. And one possible way of being that we have is deepening that understanding. And if we exploit that, so to speak, or we work on that and we say, can Dasein, can you, can the being in the world that you are come to a come to disclose itself for itself in a more complete understanding. Bring itself to light more completely. Bring yourself to light more completely. Heidegger says, yes, that's possible. And the reason why is because understanding is a mode of disclosing being. Okay? Understanding is a mode of disclosing being. Understanding is a way of disclosing being. This is very important for Heidegger. It's not the only way. There's understanding. There's discourse and there's something else he calls attunement. These are all ways of disclosing the being that we are and disclosing beings that are there for us. So we have the question at the start of being in time, what is the meaning of being? Then we say, how do we access this question? Well, we turn our attention to the being for whom that is a question in the first place or can become a question, namely, we ourselves, to whom he gives the name here, Dasein. He brings us to light through phenomenological speech as this composite structure 
being in the world, which as I said, is not like water in a cup, but an existential structure, which always and for the most part is collapsed into an understanding of world. And he wants to bring this back in a way that we become it. It's not a concept for us. We experience ourselves like a jolt of lightning or like, uh, that's an image from contributions to philosophy of event, like a jolt. We come to know ourselves as standing exposed to what he calls later the truth of being. Now, I got to say something about that, but I really want to make this clear for you. Dasein for Heidegger is what we must, we always are it in principle, but we must become it like explicitly, expressly. That means disclose ourselves to us, to ourselves in our understanding as that which we genuinely are. So the philosophical task is not to acquire a new dogma or a new doctrine or a new teaching or a set of arguments. The philosophical task is self-disclosure through phenomenological speech. And this self-disclosure discloses us not as a biological, psychological, physiological, or other type of being. It discloses us out of our unique relationship to some other dimension. And I'm going to look at the chat questions in a second, but I have to tell you this very important thing. In order to indicate this deeper dimension that we stand exposed to when we understand ourselves as Dasein, he introduces a unique spelling of the word being that I cannot convey to you in speech differently because it sounds the same. So I have to say it in the following way. It's being with a Y, B-E-Y-N-G in this translation of contributions to philosophy of the event. And in German, it's sign, S-E-Y-N, even though normally it would be S-E-I-N. So I got to explain that to you for a minute because it's crucial for understanding Dasein in terms of its relatedness to and being open to the deepest, most fundamental ground of its existence. So look, you start with beings, my microphones, the fan, whatever you have around you. Those are beings. Now you could raise, like he says, has how has being been understood in the course of the history of philosophy? Pretty much up until he gives it a decisive transformation. He says, being has been understood as that which is most common to beings. So what makes a being a being? Somehow it's beingness. What is being with an I? It is that which is most common to beings. That is what Heidegger calls metaphysics. And he says that metaphysics is the name for all of philosophy from its first beginning in Heraclitus, Anaximander, and Parmenides, all the way down to Nietzsche. And these transformations of that history he traces, and they are very interesting and very important. I'll probably say a little bit about it in a minute. So you have beings and being as that which is most common to them. Later, it gets understood as the highest being, which is the cause of other beings because it created them. And there are various other transformations, but always, he thinks, you're working with the pair beings and being. And the philosophers before him are driven by the question, what are beings? And they answer that question through being with an I. Heidegger takes this problematic, this ontological difference, as he calls it, and he says he's going to offer a much more profound 
basis for understanding ourselves, our ground, and our relationship to beings and to the world. So what does he say? Not beings and being, but rather Dasein as being in the world and its exposure to being with a Y. That is deeper source of, of self-revealing openness. So I got to say something about all this, but it's very important. Being with a Y indicates for him this deeper, more genuine and more original dimension of being's self-disclosure. Being discloses itself through Dasein. Dasein stands open to the, tr to the ground of being. Beings, meanwhile, are over here on this other level. They also get reinterpreted when we see ourselves as Dasein and when we see Dasein on the basis of this ground. So a million more points to make here. Heidegger says that in modernity, the human being has become interpreted as self-certain self-consciousness. And the peak, really, of philosophical elaboration of self-certain self-consciousness is Hegel who in the phenomenology of spirit unfolds the encyclopedic comprehensive speech, conceptual speech that gives you the externalization of subjectivity and its full articulation and return to self-knowledge. So in Hegel, you have the total self-conscious, self-certainty expressed conceptually, the peak and perfection in some sense of philosophical modernity. But Heidegger says that is a type of existential or fundamental ontological suicide because when you are self-certain, let's say this is yourself, this is your self-certainty. It's the point beyond which you don't need to question because you already know. It's the certainty that lays the basis for everything that comes next. He says this is how in part you think about culture and about genius and about many other things. They are based on the idea that the human being is a self-conscious self-certainty that builds, so to speak, from its own foundation. That is not Dasein because let's take self-certainty. Sorry, uh, let me see. What's the best way? Like this, here's the foundation of self-certainty and it's open to its own creations and productions. But he wants us to see ourselves as open to something more fundamental than ourselves. And we get access to that deeper dimension that dimension that transforms us, that illuminates us, that graces us, that is, like I said, a conversion, an initiation, a sanctification even. That dimension, we can never access it on the basis of self-certainty because it, we are blocking off access to it. But if we open up questioning to our ground, we expose ourselves to that which lies genuinely at our basis. And Heidegger has a fascinating, compelling, beautiful, thought-provoking, and earth-shattering account of why that deeper dimension ever closed itself off from us. How did it happen that if we are Dasein, being in the world, this composite existential structure that is different from just a something, but we're also not the rational animal, we're also not shouldn't fundamentally understand ourselves psychologically, physiologically, and all of that, but crucially must understand ourselves out of our relationship to being, then how did it happen that that knowledge was obstructed from us or blocked from us or that we have gone many, many steps away from it, which he believes that we've done?
How did that happen? How is that possible? So he has an account in Contributions to Philosophy of the Event and elsewhere of the of being's own history and of the stages in being's history of the meaning of the history of philosophy, specifically in terms of how this deep dimension, our exposure to the truth of being, got blocked off, concealed, and we came to understand ourselves on the basis of some self-certainty and therefore distorted our understanding of truth, no longer saw truth as the disclosure of this deep ontological dimension, but began to see truth as speech about beings. So that what's true is what we say about something that exists. Heidegger says that's a very derivative, distorted, secondary, and less important notion of truth. Truth as a statement that accurately represents a being. So here's we who speak. We're speaking about something. We say it more or less accurately. There's a guitar on the wall. My, my speech is true because I made an assertion. The assertion matches the situation. Therefore, it's true. He says. The initial, genuine, original meaning of truth as it was disclosed to the first thinkers of philosophy among the Greeks was that truth is not the correlation or correspondence of speech to a being, one among the beings in the world, but rather that truth was the deepest dimension of the self-disclosure of the ground of being and that we stand in that self-disclosure. So Dasein, you, who you are, according to Heidegger, if you follow him here, you are always already in the truth. You always already stand exposed to the, open, the fundamental underlying openness of being. And only because there is a fundamental underlying openness of being that you stand in in the first place, is there the possibility of saying something true about a being that appears for you or occurs for you. The clear, the clearedness of a space of appearing in the first place is the possibility for a truthful utterance about a being that appears for you. Now, Heidegger's hint, as I said, was the fact that there's a Greek word for truth. If you trace it back and you say, what is the word that from which we began to understand truth like through veritas in Latin and certitudo as certainty. How did all of that, where did that come from etymologically? So he says, comes from a Greek word, aletheia. And the absolutely important insight for Heidegger about this word is this. Aletheia basically is a like un. The a is an alpha privative. It means un, like undoing something, alpha privative, a. Letheia, which is, let's say for our purposes, concealedness. So truth, aletheia, is taking something out of concealment. So think about it. Heidegger's, uh, Heidegger was dumbstruck by this fact. Truth is taking something out of concealment. So that means in a way that the concealment, the experience for the first speakers and thinkers of philosophy in the first beginning of philosophy in Greece, for them, the experience of concealment was primary and the bringing to light or unconcealing or having it stand before you in its openness so that you can see what it is having its appearance to the mind of the eye was not secondary but 
came after the unconcealment. Sorry, comes after the concealment. Concealment is primordial. So Heidegger said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why have we come to understand truth in part in terms of the things that are there for us, illumination, light, uh, seeing something and describing it um, accurately? What happened to this concealment aspect? Tell me more about that. Say more about that. And so in his study of the first history of philosophy and the first thinkers, as he writes about them, he makes a very crucial observation. And let's focus on Plato, because as he says in the contributions to philosophy of the event, Plato is, it dominates, Platonism dominates the history of the first, uh, the first history of philosophy in the West. Plato dominates it. Platonism dominates it. And specifically, what I'm about to say to you, what I'm about to describe to you, what I'd like to convey to you. For Heidegger, this is of decisive importance for determining the trajectory of Western humanity and history and crucially Western Dasein or the Western human being. You and I, according to Heidegger, are a function through and through, essentially and crucially, of what I'm about to say to you. So those of you who have read The Republic may know this image, this allegory, and those of you who haven't also may know it. Let's bring back before your uh, recollection the cave, Plato's cave allegory. This is a very crucial um, location in the history of Western philosophy for Heidegger for something decisive. What do we have in the cave allegory? Without going into all the details, let's focus on what's um, vital here for him. A prisoner in the cave sees the shadows. You all know roughly that at some point he's dragged out. He gets as far really as the fire that's burning behind him. He is disoriented, discombobulated, doesn't like it. He runs back down to what he's used to. The shadows on the wall, which I remind you in the Republic, Plato says, or rather Socrates says, that is our natural perception. Our natural perception is what is allegorized by viewing the shadows on the wall. And then ultimately the prisoner is freed. Heidegger writes about this in On the Essence of Truth, but in many other places, because it is for him so vital. The prisoner is freed, is taken out of the cave and begins to see the realities, the ideas, the most beingful beings, the beings that truly are, not the beings that somewhat are, that are somewhat in being, like the shadows, but the most beingful beings, the realities that really are. And as you probably know, the name he uses for them, for the realities that are outside of the cave, is the ideas. This is, I'm reminding you, absolutely crucial for Heidegger. So let's follow the reasoning here for a minute. The prisoner freed from the cave sees the most beingful beings, the ideas. He sees first, you know, the reflection of the, of the actual tree and the water. And then later he sees the tree itself. Later he sees the stars, the moon. And finally, what is the peak of this vision? This intellectual noetic apprehension this philosophical ascent out of the cave. What is the peak moment of apprehension? It's the sun, the idea of the good. Now, very importantly, remember Heidegger's big, one of his big points is this. We have focused on beings and have interpreted being with an I on the basis of beings. That's the ontological difference, beings and being with an I. 
That for him is the whole history of Western philosophy pretty much up until himself. He calls it metaphysics. And he thinks that it has blocked our access to the truth of being, this deeper dimension, this self-disclosure in which we stand as Dasein, that in which we have our being, so to speak, okay? Well, the ideas are the most beingful beings. And now you get to the sun, the idea of the good. And Heidegger says the following. Plato had an inkling, an intimation, a genuine philosophical uh, understanding of the fact that there is something beyond being. Because in the Republic, in the cave allegory, there is that phrase that the sun in the image corresponds to that which is noetically, intellectually, beyond being. So somehow you're like, wait a minute, that's that's interesting. That is, uh, maybe that's the concealed part of this unconcealment that aletheia means, the unconcealment, the winning away from concealment. We got to put our finger on where that concealment lies. Maybe it lies in the fact that the of the beyond being. That's There's something there. That's a hint or a clue. But Heidegger says, look, Plato did not accurately and well enough and properly identify the question of the concealment or the self-concealing disclosing. And you can see it in the following way. He calls the sun not just beyond being, but he calls it the idea of the good. But remember, the ideas are the most beingful beings. So in other words, the sun is beyond being, but it's as an idea in the technical platonic sense, one of the beings, even if it's the highest and most important one. And Heidegger says this failure, so to speak, which is not a, it's not a failure. It's just a fate. This fate of having allowed the concealing, so to speak, I'll give you another image here. Imagine you have a, a you have um, a light source that is illuminating a space, but the light source itself is not illuminated. And you want to examine not just the illuminated space and everything that stands in it, but the light source itself. You can't if you're focused on the light, on that which is in being or which is one of the beings. So Heidegger says, this moment of Plato of bringing the beyond being into being by calling it an idea, and generally speaking, of not turning his attention to the concealing aspect of truth as unconcealment was absolutely decisive and determinative for the rest of the history of philosophy all the way up until Nietzsche. And that is not a philosophy that is separate from us. That's a philosophy in which the human being himself undergoes essential transformations. Because whenever our understanding of being changes, our self-understanding and self-disclosure changes. And it really matters whether we have a distorted self-understanding, whether we have an alienated and uprooting self uprooted self-understanding, or whether we have a genuine, well-founded, well-grounded self-understanding of ourselves as Dasein, appropriated by or seized by or exposed to the truth of being. That is absolutely crucial for Heidegger. So he says, look, all talk about values, ideas, ideology, culture, Christianity, anti-Christianity, all of the players of the culture wars today, whether they're on the left or on the right or in the center, whether they're liberal, whether they're communist, whether they're fascist, whether they talk about race, communism, class, 
whatever they are talking about, they are uprooted ontologically, fundamental ontologically, existentially, from a genuine understanding of the human being as Dasein in its exposedness to the truth of being as that which both opens the space for us and conceals itself. All of them. And the decisive question for Heidegger, the question of questions, when he said in one of his lectures that the Second World War decided nothing in terms of man's essential dwelling on earth. What do you mean it decided nothing? When he says that Christianity, anti-Christianity, left, right, center, all of these players in the culture war um, are relatively equal from the point of view of their self-certainty and their lack of questioning, their lack of self-exposure to the deepest realm and dimension of our existence. What, what did he have in mind? Precisely this, that the, the decisive question for the future of Western Dasein, for the huge future of Western thought, for the future of Western humanity, for our to be or not to be question is, are we going to continue this process of being alienated from the truth of being all the way up into machination, calculation, representation, virtuality, uprootedness from being, idle talk, curiosity, ambiguity, and total, total misapprehension of the meaning of being and of the meaning of human being. That is one option. That is one option that stands before us. Or are we going to jump into, jump over and past the ontological difference between beings and being? go past the history of metaphysics and go back to the very inception of philosophy and have another beginning of philosophy that exposes us, another inception that exposes us to the truth of being and allows for the essential transformation of the human being into Dasein, to become Dasein, to seek the truth of being, to shelter and preserve the truth of being in art, in the word, in poetry, in philosophy, in building, in statesmanship, in sacrifice, and indeed, are we going to configure a genuine relatedness to the truth of being? That's possible. Or are we forever going to be in the never-ending dark night of metaphysics, which has absolutely been abandoned by and forgotten the truth of being? That is the choice that stands before us according to Heidegger. And it's not like we can make that choice or just assess it or analyze it without understanding really well the fundamental distinctions between beings and being with an I, being with an I and being with a Y. The way in which we interpret ourselves when we're collapsed and entangled in the world versus our clear self uh, understanding and comprehension when we have the possibility of authentic existence. And here, let me say in passing, some of you who know Heidegger well or trivially, who have read about him or heard about him, know that he talks about something called being towards death in this book, Being in Time. The discussion of being towards death in Being in Time serves a very crucial methodological function. It's not a philosophy of death. It's not about dying. It's not an embrace of death. It's about how when we make clear to ourselves that we are now, always, already, fundamentally, constitutionally, 
uh, stretched forward towards the possibility of our impossibility, our death. That opens us up, that being stretched forward towards our death. If we can truly apprehend our being towards death phenomenologically and our always already being thrown into existence, we apprehend ourselves and disclose ourselves as this openness, this open temporalization that is exposed to being. So being towards death plays for him a very important role in giving us access to ourselves as, as an open exposure to the truth of being. And so I just want to say this. I've set before you Heidegger's decision. Either we continue in the philosophy of the first beginning, metaphysics, the self-interpretation of the human being in terms of being-ness, that's being with an I, or in terms of the beings, like psychologically, biologically, anthropologically, either we continue to interpret ourselves and are collapsed, being collapsed with the world, or we genuinely grasp the being historical history of philosophy that Heidegger spells out in the contributions to philosophy and other works. We gain genuine phenomenological access to ourselves as Dasein, as being in the world, as always already being in the world with other Daseins, taking care of beings ahead of ourselves and uh, how being is for him is we are our possibilities. Unless we grasp all of that, this decision not only won't really make full sense to us, we won't, um, we won't understand what there is to be decided and we won't be able to expose ourselves to the possibility of another beginning of philosophy. So what is Dasein? Dasein is for Heidegger who we are already if we disclose ourselves to ourselves adequately, phenomenologically, out of the question of the meaning of being, on the basis of the observation that we sort of know what we mean by being, because you understood what I said when I said the door is open, but we also don't genuinely, deeply understand how we're exposed to being and what that means for our self-understanding. And when we combine that, Dasein also is a project, a task, an invitation, a destiny, a fate, our ability to turn ourselves from a self-certain being closed to the dimension of the truth of being to opening ourselves up to that and becoming a portal where so to speak, okay, or the place, the site of the moment of the event of the truth of being, as he puts it. And so I um, invite each of you and all of you who are watching this to become curious. How is it that you understand the meaning of being even preliminarily? And can you become clearer to yourself in your exposure to being through asking the meaning of being? Heidegger is an indispensable guide. He's not just a philosophical author. No philosopher is. He's a fate. He's a destiny. He's a message. He's a prophecy. And he's genuinely an invitation, like I said at the beginning, for learning about the contemporary schools of political theory and political philosophy, for learning about ourselves in our deeper dimension, and for learning about our history, our present, and our future. So thank you very much for your time and attention. I see that there has been a lot of discussion in the chat. I got a little bit carried away with the exposition. I apologize if I didn't get around to addressing these questions. Let me see now. Maybe I will do one or two of them now. So Dasein is ethnic, somebody asked. Well, 
Heidegger does not say that Dasein is ethnic because Dasein, you must think of in terms of its exposure to being as such. Whereas the ethnic, maybe, is an interpretation derived from the realm of beings, like he sometimes says. However, there is a fundamental ontological interpretation of Dasein as being related to a people. So Heidegger says, and you know what? I will just read this passage to you now because I know where it is and it's topical. So this is from Contributions to Philosophy of the Event, subsection 251 on page 316. A people, he writes, and by the way, this dimension of Heidegger's thought is relevant for understanding Alexander Dugan, as are all of the other dimensions, and that's not the only thing that makes it interesting, nevertheless. A people is a people only if it receives its history as allotted to it through finding its God, the God that compels this people beyond itself and thus places the people back amid beings. I'm going to explain this to you in a minute. Only then does a people escape the danger of circling around itself and of idolizing what are merely conditions of its subsistence. Let me explain for a minute. A people becomes a people out of its, ex its exposure to the truth of being with a Y. The God aspect is a dimension of that. I don't want to go into the details. How is a people supposed to find the God, however, unless there are seekers, philosophers, inquirers, conceptual thinkers who in reticence seek on behalf of this people and who as these seekers must apparently even stand against the people that is not yet properly a people. So what he's saying is, you asked his Dasein eth ethnic. What he's saying is, look, there is there are some peoples who think that they are a people already. That is to say, just like on all the other examples I gave, they have the self-certainty of their peoplehood, but they will only become a people out of the genuine questioning of the truth of being, the openness to the truth of being, that the genuine poets and philosophers will do. And in, for the genuine poets and philosophers to do that, sometimes they have to take a stand against the people, which isn't yet genuinely a people because it's too self-certain of itself and not exposed to the truth of being. So there's a dimension of that in Heidegger, but I wouldn't say it's accurate to say that Dasein is ethnic, strictly speaking. I see a comment here, a Straussian who got zero from reading Strauss. I'm sorry to hear that about yourself. I recommend that you keep reading him until you understand. I can't see how Dugan would regard salvation as relevant to orthodox Dasein. Seems self-deceptive. There's a separate question about orthodoxy, salvation, and Heideggerian um, inceptual thinking. More than we can cover here. This isn't the last little video I'm going to do on such topics. And as I said at the beginning, I plan to do more workshops on Heidegger, probably on Dugan too. So we'll have to look at that later. What are the practical repercussions of embracing Dasein? What does the society look like in that regard? How can we translate that into a political philosophy? That's a great question. Um, Dasein politics, term from uh, Strauss, or many indications in the contributions to philosophy of the event that get us thinking along those ways. So it's not, there's no obvious program. It's ex an experiment that we need to think about. But the, the, in a sense, prerequisite for thinking about the politics of fundamental ontology or inceptual political thinking, we need first to understand the general, general contours of what Heidegger means by these things. And then see, like, somehow you have um, 
I was telling somebody earlier today in the following philosophical tendencies in schools get put into practice in various ways. Sometimes like I was reading Graham Harmon's book, uh, object oriented ontology. And he writes that many of the exponents of his thought and eager people who take his thought up are architects. So they find a way to incorporate thinking about object oriented ontology into their architecture. And you know, there can be similar movements in, uh, like similar transpositions of philosophical thinking into art, into music, into poetry, into writing. And Heidegger himself says that one of the ways of sheltering and preserving the truth of being, one of the ways that Dasein can shelter and preserve the truth of being is in uh, deeds, sacrifice, and states somehow state building and statesmanship. But it will be a different political philosophy and a different political theology when we're thinking out of the philosophy of another beginning, or even when we're thinking on the basis of Dasein, it'll be different from what we're used to in the history of political philosophy and the history of political theory. So it's uh, it's something to think about. It's more of an experiment than a clear blueprint for, you know, it's going to have such and such institutions. Dugan has a book, Experiments in Existential Politics, not translated into English, although I translated parts of it for my own use and one chapter on plural anthropology is in the Russian volume called Heidegger in Russia and Eastern Europe. I translated Dugan's contribution to that volume, which is taken from his third Heidegger book. So you could look at that for some ideas. Uh, listen, I'm not going to go through all the comments, although I very much appreciate that you have been active in the chat. Um, let's leave it at this for a preliminary overview. Like I said, you probably have a thousand pages there in the Heidegger and a thousand others on the shelf, thousands of others. And yet I wanted to give you gen a general starting point to think about it. It's not a concept. It's something that you always already are and need to let the scales fall from your eyes, according to Heidegger, by deepening your self-understanding, your self-disclosure. Uh, and he gives you a way of doing that. I hope you found this helpful. If it was impenetrable, I apologize. My name is Michael Millerman. I write about Dugan, Heidegger, Strauss, and others. You can go to michaelmillerman.ca to see some of my other videos. Subscribe to the channel if you'd like. Let me know what you think. There's more material on the way. I have a book beginning with Heidegger coming out soon. I hope you have a look at that. Strauss, Rorty, Derrida, Dugan, and my thoughts on the political philosophy of conceptual thinking. It's good to be with you again. It was too long. Thanks, guys. Until next time, goodbye.